You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he will be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace. By the blood of the cross, him we proclaim. Just as kind of an update, last week we, um, I told you that we, we were donating our entire offering to uh, Wycliffe for this, this new people that we are, people group in uh, the Middle East that we are adopting that, that is really finishing the New Testament project. Got a cool uh, email this week with this. This is um, the text of several verses of the, this language that, it, that the scriptures is being translated into of these Tengir people. Um, there's only one translator, y'all, and he lives in the United States. He's a refugee. He had to run from this country. He is a wanted man, and he is translating this this scriptures into his language for these two million people. And this is just a piece of what he's been doing. I don't have any, it looks like a bunch of exclamation points. In fact, that actually looks like an exclamation point. But maybe it is. Maybe the font didn't come through. But, but it's just cool to see that, um, that, that God is using uh, our church to, to bring the word of God to a people that don't have it. So that's exciting stuff. So thank you for your generosity. I think we gave around $80,000 last week. And just because we're just gonna probably bump that up to 100 or so because we have some extra money and gift and, and, and mission. So we're gonna be finishing that project. So we're excited about that. So thank you for your generosity. Uh, I promise you on the word of God that the investment in the word of God is not going to return to you void as well as a church. And so we are gonna continue to do that. So, all right, we're in Colossians 4. We're gonna finish this little epistle today. So go ahead and turn there. Um, we're open up your app or just follow along on the screen. We, uh, I'm not a big soccer guy, you know that, but there is a soccer movie that I love. There's actually two. There's an old Sylvester Stallone movie from the 80s called Victory that I love, but none of you have seen that probably, but one or two. But there's a movie called Kicking and Screaming, right, with Will Ferrell. If you haven't watched Elf, it's about time. Um, but it's this movie about, uh, he, he is this dad, you know, he's this kind of nice, loving dad who runs a vitamin shop, and he ends up coaching his, his kid's soccer team getting addicted to espresso because he, he brings Mike Ditka in as his assistant coach. And, and it's a typical Disney kind of story. The team starts bad, right? They're the worst team in the league. But Mike Ditka recruits two Italian kids, okay? Uh, the butcher's kids, right? And so he, he brings them on the team, and these are soccer studs. And so they have one play that they run, one strategy on this team, Get the ball to the Italians. And they run the play and it works. They're dominating, right? They're winning. 
and, but the problem is that the team ends up being demoralized. It's the typical story, right? And at the end, they got to play the championship game and they want to do it as a team. They don't want to just do it as getting the ball to the Italians. Ironically, Robert Duvall, which is Will Ferrell's dad, is coaching the other team. And so there's this kind of funny tension going on, right? But you know what happens. It's the same story. They end up winning because they come together as a team and they just, they play as one, right? Uh, and it's a funny little story. But I think our mentality in church and in life and in the world is very similar. It's always get the ball to the Italians. Let's, let's, let's get the really gifted, important, out front people to do it. And we'll sit on the side and cheer and drink espresso, right? And we're gonna come to a text today that, that, that shows that that's not how God designed this deal to work. Yes, there are people that are gifted in certain areas and more out front areas and all this, but we, we often look at the heroes of, of the faith, the Davids and the Elijahs and the Moseses and think there's something better about them. So we just need to get to all the Italians. And the scriptures is, is very clear that Elijah was a man with a nature just like Bill's and Joe's. He's just like everyone else. And the plan has never been just to get the ball to the Italians. The plan has always been us as a team, as a church, as a people of God, doing life together, running together, encouraging one another as long as the day is still called today. And, and the text we come to today is just gonna highlight that. And, and, and I think it's summarized really well in the, in the words of uh, just a great theologian, uh, Ringo Starr, or, or Joe Cocker, who actually wrote the song, I get by with a little help from my friends. We'll leave the other line out in church. (laughs) Paul closes out this letter showing that he gets by with a little help from his friends. And he's gonna highlight. So we come to the passages like this and if you've read ahead, you kind of know like, okay, there ain't no good memory verse here. Right, this is a bunch of names. I kind of blow through this passage and go, but this is the kind of passage that I love because it shows the personal side of the Apostle Paul, that this is a real dude with real buddies and real life and real struggles. And it just kind of gets you a little bit of a snapshot of what's going on behind the scenes here, right? And just remember that all scripture is inspired by God. So John three sixteen is just as much God breathed as Colossians four sixteen. Now maybe one's more inspiring but they're all from God. And he has these names here for a reason. And he's put them in, in, in scripture forever. Forever and ever, these people's names will be written in this book. And so it's important for us for some reason. So we're, we're just gonna work through this passage, hopefully, and, and find some principles and see how Paul got, got by with a little help from, from his friends and see if we can find some, some application for us and some thoughts for us as we don't try to just get the ball to the Italians, that we together run this race with endurance that sets before us, all right? So Colossians 4, remember where we've been as we finish out? We're gonna do a recap next week, but chapters one and two, Paul is highlighting the the sufficiency and the centrality and the deity and the humanity and the perfection and the reconciliation and all these things that Jesus has accomplished in light of the false teachers that were trying to say, no, 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 Jesus is just kind of like the JV stuff. What you really need is the varsity stuff. And Paul is saying, no, 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 Jesus is varsity, And in chapters three and four, he's just kind of unpacked how that makes a difference in our lives, in our marriages, in our work, how we put to death sin, how we put a lot on the new self. And then talked about, uh, today we're gonna talk about how how does that look in just just in our other relationships? How does the the centrality of Jesus, just as we interact, as we run this race together? So let's look at these, I think there's about 10 of them, 
just look at their names. You're going to meet them in heaven. You're going to ask them questions, but let's just jump in. So he starts off in 7 8. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So you got this guy, Tychicus. Now, Paul doesn't just throw out compliments. Okay, Paul, Paul if he's gonna mention you, Paul, Paul ain't afraid to call out names. Can you imagine sitting in the early church and they, you get a letter from Paul and they just start, okay, we got a new letter from Paul and everyone opens it up and he just calls your, yourself out. He, like, so in Philippians, he says, I want Eudia and Synecdoche to stop fighting. And they're all in the back row like, he writes the chorus. I want the dude that's sleeping with his stepmom to kick him out. And he's all like, and they walk his butt out. He goes, Peter, when Peter was there, I smoked Peter. Peter's all like, I'm the Pope. He's not. I, so he does not just call you out. He ain't afraid to call you out. And he doesn't just give compliments just because he's trying to be nice. He says about this guy though, he, he is, I love him. He is a faithful diakonos, deacon, servant. He is, he is a faithful minister, right? That's just some nice, nice things to be said about you, right? You're loved, you're faithful, you're a fellow servant. And what you do, if you do a little research on this guy, this is the guy, if Paul needed something done and he needed someone to be counted on, this is the guy he sent. I'm sending this guy to Ephesus, I need him. Think about these three things just in this verse, one implicit two said that he, he's got tasks for Tychicus. Number one, he's gonna give him all the deets. What's going on in Paul's life? Number two, he's sent to encourage them. Hey, I want you to encourage this church. They're down, they're struggling. I want you to encourage them. Third thing, it doesn't say it, but this is implicit. He's the one that's bringing the letter. And not just this letter, by the way, he's bringing the letter to the Ephesians as well. So think about that task there is only one copy of, one, of two books in the Bible in existence. Now, whether they knew it was scripture at that time or not, they, they learned pretty quick after. But you, you got one copy in existence in the world of the Bible. Do you want to carry that? No, 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 give that to him. And then you got to take it a thousand miles. Make sure it doesn't get wet. There's no iPhone case for the scripture if you drop it, right? That's a big task. But he says, Tychicus is gonna do it. See, this is, this is the kind of guy, you never hear his name. He's behind the scenes. We always see the Pauls of the world. That's the Italians. But there is no Pauls without Tychicuses. Right? It's the nature of the way things are. We always see the people out front. So the, we see the athlete, but we don't see the parents who drive four hours to do this. We don't see the, the coaches that do X. We don't see the teammates who do this. We see the guy who hits the big shot. We don't see the guy who dribbled up the court, made the nice pass, the behind the scenes guy. We see the boss who does the presentation and gets, gets the job, but we don't see the, the, the employees who are, who are busting their tails behind the scenes to get that done. We see this role, you see me, but you don't see the, the people who are uh, back in the nursery who are taking care of kids right now, so there's a little bit of calm. You don't see the people who necessarily sat you in a seat this morning. You don't see the folks in the booth who are making this microphone go. You don't see the person who pays the power bill so that you actually have air con You don't see all those things. But see, in God's economy, those things are all matter. And they're just all equally important, right? Because it's not about getting involved to the Italians, right? 
And so that we need folks. How important is it to be the, to, in your life to have that person where you can say, I need this done and you know it's gonna get done, right? If you have to take one kid to the, to the, to the pediatrician and you got two over here and you need someone that says they're gonna be there at 12 o'clock and they're gonna show up at your house and they're not just gonna give them a bunch of Skittles and feed them you know, marshmallows while you're gone, that you can call that person and they're there. We need folks here real pragmatically, that sign up to be on the kids' nursery team and they show up. That's significant. We need folks that say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in this and do this, and they do it. They follow through, no matter what. That's Tychicus, right? And Paul needs Tychicus, right? This side of heaven, I mean, if we don't have Tychicus, we don't have Ephesians, we don't have Colossians, probably don't have Philemon. Paul gets by with a little help from his friends. Next guy, Onesimus. I'm sending with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's taken place. I, I kind of unpacked him a little week, a couple weeks ago. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He ran away. He stole his master's money. He runs off to Rome thinking, ha, 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 I got away. He runs into Paul. Paul shares the gospel with him. He believes. Paul says, now it's time for you to make restoration. You gotta go back. And he does. And he takes with him a little letter to his ex master whose name was Philemon. And Paul wrote that book to Philemon and say, I want you to accept Onesimus like you would accept me. And by the way, remember, you owe me your soul. But love him anyway, right? And so he does. Onesimus is a guy who had a past, a checkered past. And we need, we need his story. You know why? Because we have checkered pasts. You got a story. You have a past, right? And, and, and some of you you, you, you should repent of your past, yes, if it's, if it's a sinful, broken one, but some of you are way too hung up on it. This is the reason Jesus came. This is the reason Paul is doing ministry because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came for those who were sick, not those who were healthy. And, and some of you are like, well, you're just waiting to get in the game. Well, I'm just not worthy. What are you waiting for? To do penance? You gotta wait five years? You've been banned from doing something because of your sin? You, oh, I've, I've been, oh, my divorce was so messy. I can't. Yes, but if, if you were in Christ, you were, what? you were a new creation. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And yes, that is a past. That is why Jesus came. That is why he died on a cross for your sins and rose again. It's so that you could be free of your condemnation and now you can go and move. You could do something, right? If you're, if you're all broken, you bring your, your brokenness to Jesus and then out of that brokenness, you minister. If you wait till you get fixed, you're never gonna do anything. You struggle with anxiety, you may forever, this side of eternity, struggle with that. You might have to fight that all the time with your lust, with your whatever, but that doesn't mean you're, you just sit on the sidelines. That's an area that maybe God wants to use you to minister to others, you bring your brokenness to Jesus and then out of that, okay, you are divorced. So now you can minister to those who have been divorced. Maybe you can encourage young married couples, whatever it is. But Onesimus teaches us just because you had a past doesn't mean you're done, right? You're not done. And I, we need the stories of Onesimus in the church because it reminds us that God changes lives. I, I have nothing wrong with a great vanilla testimony. Every, those are great, 
There's just as much grace involved there. But we need to see that God is moving. And so for you to just kind of, I can't do anything. Now, when, when we see that this guy was this and now he's this, wow. That's, that's a story that keeps Paul going. That's a story that keeps us going. To see God does great things. We need Onesimus. And Paul saying, says in Philemon, he says, I'm sending him, I'm sending my very heart. I love this guy. Right, this is why I'm in ministry. He says to the Thessalonians, you are our trophies. You are our glory. He's about the people, about the changed lives. That's what we should be looking for. That, that's, that's encouraging to us. If you have a story, don't hide it. Share it. It encourages the people of God. Paul gets by with a little help from his friends. Next guy, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. That's all we got from him. And I, with my little sanctified imagination, I, I picture, you know, Paul's in prison. Timothy's writing this thing. And so, I, and again, this is not inspired, but I think this is how it happened. He says, he looks over at Timothy, says, Timothy, how much, how much space we got left? Because remember, they're writing on a scroll. He says, we got like this much, Paul. He says, Aristarchus, you got something for him? Aristarchus is like, tell him word. <laughs> tell him peace. That's all we get. He greets him, right? What you do, if you do a little research on, the, on this guy, this is funny. This guy was the guy, he was always in the mix. This is your buddy from high school who was in the ER every other weekend. Okay, this is this guy. He gets in a big old brawl in Ephesus because he's buddies with Paul. He gets his tail whooped. He's in a shipwreck with Paul. He's in jail with him now. He's, he's the guy that you grew up with from the Bronx. It's always like, let's go. Right, he's not the smartest cookie, but he ain't afraid of nothing. That's this dude. And what you see is he's, it seems like he's, a, he's the kind of guy, he's a risk taker. He's not afraid. And we need these folks in our lives. You know why? Because I need that guy who's bold and doesn't care what happens because it encouraged me. What am I so scared about sharing my faith for? I mean, look at him. He's out there. He's dumb as a post, but he's sharing his faith. Right? He's bold and courageous and doesn't care. I need that guy in my life, especially when I'm timid. Paul needs to be reminded. If I got to go into it, I got to be in the mix, I'm bringing old boy with his Bible and his and his brass knuckles, right? Paul gets by with a little help from his friends. Aristarchus, and then he says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, whom you have received instructions. If he comes, you welcome. Mark's story, if you're familiar with the Bible, remember, Mark goes with Paul and Barnabas on his first missionary journey. He's a young teenager at the time, most people think, and he goes off on this missionary journey, and he gets a little homesick, and he quits, and he runs home to Mama. And then when it's time to go on the second journey, Barnabas says, let's get Mark and take him. And Paul's like, no way we're bringing old boy. He's a, he's a wimp. He quit on us. And there's such a, a division amongst Paul and Barnabas that Paul says, fine, you take him and I'm taking Silas. And he takes Silas and Barnabas takes Mark. And we don't see Mark again until here in Paul's first imprisonment where he's back. Barnabas must have taken this young man under his, under his wing, discipled him, and he becomes a different kind of guy. And at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, when he writes his last will and testament, he says, bring me Mark. I need me some Mark. So he recovered pretty nicely. And he also wrote a little book. You might've heard of it. It's called Mark. <laughs> Real original title. He's a guy who quit. And yet he is the one who God uses to write the second gospel. And I need this guy too. I don't know about you. I need to see guys who have failed and didn't quit. I need to see gals who have who've messed up royally 
let people down and it didn't, it didn't keep them down. And the scripture is filled with those guys. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. David, years in the wilderness, failed miserably. Yet God restores them, they're back at it. Scripture's filled with them. Jacob, Abraham, Peter, Samson, Rocky, all of them. All of them failed and come back in life. It's a great story. And, and, and so what we need to know is if you've failed, that's okay. It's not okay to stay there. Your, you, your failure can be a great encouragement to the church because you can say, hey, we failed with our kids here. Don't follow that. Do this. We failed over here. I learned this when I was 28. I should have done the X. I should have done Y. This is how we should have done church. I've seen church planners who have failed and go on and plan another church and it's been successful. It's, it's, it's part of your story. And God's not afraid of your, of your failure. And if you've blown it, you've fallen off the wagon, you've done whatever, if, as long as you have breath and your heart is beating, God is not done. That's the story of Mark. And there's nothing more encouraging than me to see a guy or a gal who quit failed, they learned, and they're back. And they're stronger than they were. We need guys like Mark. Paul says, I need Mark. Bring me Mark. Paul gets by with a little help from his friends. Next guy, Jesus, who is called Justice. How'd you like to be this guy in the early church? Greeting time. Hey, I'm Joe. I'm Jesus. Really? (laughs) Could you come over? My kid's sick. No, not that Jesus. Just call me Justice, okay? Just call me Justice. (laughs) Right, hard and remember, Jesus is a very common name, Yeshua, Joshua, in the, in the, uh, for a Jewish home. But, so they call him Justice. Um, and it says here that he's one of the few guys that's Jewish and is still sticking with Paul. Because the Jewish people didn't like him because he wasn't forcing the converts to be circumcised. And so he, did, he has a very small contingent of Jewish believers. But notice what he says, that he has been a comfort to me. This guy's a comfort which means Paul ain't as strong as you think Paul is. Paul struggles with, with anxiety sometimes and, and he's depressed sometimes and he's sad and he's lonely and he's down. If you don't believe me, read 2 Corinthians chapter one where he says, we, we despaired life itself. We wanted to die. That's how bad it was. The great apostle Paul saw a vision of heaven, saw Jesus risen, did all the miracles, did all the, the New Testament books and struggled and had a guy in his life who was a comforter, who was an encourager, justice. I wouldn't be shocked if we get to heaven and justice was like, Paul, you just need to write these books. You need to write these letters. It's guys behind the scenes that are encouraging Paul as he's sitting in a prison cell, despairing for life. And, and here's what you need to know, and some of you know this, when you see a super gifted individual, in whatever world, sports, whatever, one of the tendencies I see in, in gifted people that I've, that I've been around is that they are super gifted, but they are also all over emotionally. There's, their highs are very high, their lows are very low. That's just a tendency. I don't know, I don't know what it is. And, and when the lows are low, you need the justices of the world to, to get you out of that funk, to make the phone call, to show up at your house, to be there, to pray for you, Right? It's a huge piece of what we do together, encouraging each other as long as the day is still called today. It also presupposes, by the way, that you let people in, that there's a little bit of transparency 
and that everything's not okay all the time. This is one of the things I despise about the social media culture that we have because your trip to the beach was better than everyone else's trip to the beach. And your hamburger is better than everyone else's hamburger. And your kid and your this and your that is always happier and happier and it is a lie. It's a filtered, I have 65 pictures, this is the only one everyone's smiling in, uh, filtered out so everyone's acne is gone and everyone looks perfect. It's a lie. But that's, just, that's what we like to show because we don't want anyone to know that we need a comfort. And it, it, that's, that's real community is that you can say, I'm not okay, right? And it's okay to be not okay. It's just not okay to stay there and to hide that. But Paul gets by with a little help from his friends because it's not about getting the ball to the Italians. Next one, Epaphras, who is one of you. We've looked at this guy. He is the guy who started this church. Remember, Paul had never been there, but Epaphras is the one who started it. And he said, he's there with him. He says, he greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature, fully assured in the will of God. For I bear witness, the NIV says, I can vouch for him. I like that. I bear witness that he has worked hard, right? Doing what? He's not even there. He's working hard in prayer. He's praying. And we, and we talked about this last week, so we don't need to dwell there, but does the church need folks that are praying hard, diligent, praying, expecting? That's Epaphras, right? I mean, how many times did Paul's life get saved probably because someone was praying? How many doors were open for the word that he may speak forth the mystery of Christ that we looked at because people were praying? I'm convinced to this day that the only reason I stand before you here is because I had a grandma, my gang gang, who prayed for me because I was her favorite grandchild. And she'll tell you that when you get to heaven. (laughs) I was firstborn of the firstborn. There's something special about Billy, I know. But she prayed faithfully for me. I'm convinced that that's why God has done what he's done in my heart, right? Paul gets by with a little help from his friends. Luke, the beloved physician. What can we say about Mr. Skywalker? This, this little tidbit, the beloved physician, is, is a critical piece of understanding, actually, in the New Testament. If you don't have this little line, we actually don't know who wrote the third gospel or the book of Acts. Because Paul here says, the beloved physician, we're able to tie in, I mean, I don't have time to explain it to you, you can read about it online or in a good New Testament background, but we understand, because there's all these we passages in the book of Luke, that we did this, we did this, we did this, and Luke was one of them, and you can identify that Luke was one of the ones there. He is the one who wrote a letter, two letters to a man named Theophilus, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. Right? And we get all that just because he drops this little line in here. So what you have is a guy who's probably a Gentile and he's not a professional ministry guy. Right? And this is the guy who could set up a nice little practice on the Sea of Galilee, make a lot of do-re-mi and live a comfortable life with his ski boat and his dot. But instead, he says, I'm gonna use my wit and my intelligence and my gifts for the kingdom. So he goes on a bunch of missionary journeys. At the end of Paul's life, only Luke is with me. He's there at the end, right? He's a guy who has an eternal perspective and he uses his intelligence that God has gifted him to, for the kingdom. Just so you know, you do not have to check your brain at the door to follow Jesus. And so what he does, 
He uses the gifts that God's given him and he writes two of the most detailed historical accounts of the life of Jesus in the early church. Do you know who wrote most of the New Testament by material? It wasn't Paul, it was Luke. Luke wrote more material than anybody else in the entire New Testament. Not as many books, but by material, his two beat Paul. And he's a doctor. He's not, he's not a professional ministry guy. That's great. And his are so detailed. And he gives a careful account I wanted to give you, a most excellent Theophilus, of everything that I saw. And he did research. And we talked about this when we talked through the book of Luke. So he gets how God wired him and he uses his gifts. That is what we need in this church. The, the guy, the businessman who teaches the, the Bible study, the nurse who uses her gifts to care for people that, that, that cannot. Just using how you're wired for eternity. Maybe helping out with our business mission model. Maybe helping out with kids. You're, you're a great teacher, you love kids. I don't know what it is. There's all sorts of creative ideas, but it's, the idea is maybe God's give you multiple resources so you can invest in things like this project we did last week. Whatever. But the idea is that you, you're just not on the sideline because you're not in professional ministry. Now, you are in professional ministry. It's just your profession happens to be engineer or artist or teacher or stay-at-home mom. See, that's the idea, right? And that's Luke. And we need Luke. <laughs> Paul gets by with a bunch of friends like Luke. Real quick. Oh, I have to skip Demas. I wish I could. I didn't have to. And then there's Demas. Demas is here now. He's here in a couple other letters. And at the end of, his, of his, Paul's life, Sadly, he says, Demas, having loved this present world, has abandoned me. We don't know if he came back. I pray that he did. We don't know what happened. But what we see is a great picture of it's not what you're doing today. It's ultimately how you finish the race that matters. It's how you finish. A few weeks ago, we went, me and a, and a couple of guys here, I mean, Gibney, I don't know if you know Glenn. Glenn's a runner. I run. He's a runner. And so we went and ran the little 5K for Covenant Care and we're like, okay, well, we're gonna go out about 7.15 pace and we'll, not, you know, we'll start catching people on the second and third mile. So we, we're like, yeah. So I follow Glenn. Glenn takes us out at like a 6.30 pace. I'm like, Glenn, but we're flying here, right? But, but what you see in a race that people have never raced before, there's a bunch of these teenagers up front and, they, and they're, you know, they're kind of like, yeah, we're gonna smoke all these old dudes. And I'm thinking, okay, we'll see how you're gonna smoke me, brother. And so we start the race and these young bucks, they just take off like gazelles, boom. And I'm just laughing because I'm like, what do you think? A quarter mile, a half mile. When are we gonna pass these boys? Sure enough, there's this one kid. He was like 17. He thought he was all big. He's up front. Boom, that kid was walking. And I'm just like, I saw that coming, right? I saw, he, I saw that because he thought, oh, I'm great. I'm gonna go sprint out. And I'm, no, it's a, it's a long race. It's a distance race. It's how you finish the race, not how you start the race. And this is just a little reminder. And we love the big splash. Get the ball to the Italians. Big event, big thing. But, but really, true fruitfulness is not the big home run. As a baseball coach, I can tell you, if you ask me, what would you rather have, one home run or four singles? Give me four singles. Because four singles is a rally. Home run ends the rally. It's a great splash. I wanna keep this thing going. Life is built on the singles. They're not flashy, but that's how we do it. One little knock at a time, right? And we finish the race. It's how we finish, not how we begin. And that's what Demas teaches us. And just as a side note, understand this. The longer you run with Jesus, you will be abandoned by somebody. You will be. Jesus, was he abandoned? Mm Mm-hmm, by everybody. Paul, by everybody but Luke. 
right? It's, it's going to happen. You won't be the first, right? But understand, Jesus, that happened to your master, it's gonna happen to you. Next one. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha. Here's the, the, the lone lady in the group. Um, this gives you a little snapshot into the life of the church. Uh, the church meets in this lady's house, whatever church. It may be the church at Laodicea. It may be some other, you know, random house church. Remember, but it, love the language. It's not that the, the church is her house. The church meets in her house because the church is the people. It's just a reminder. And you get another little snapshot into the early church uh, of how this, this little gathering's worked. It says, when this letter, Colossians, has been read among you, have it read amongst the church of Laodiceans, which is a neighboring city, not too far away, and see that you also read their letter. So Paul is sending out multiple letters. Many people think that the Laodicean letter is actually Ephesians. Remember, they didn't have titles then. It wasn't like Mark, Luke, Ephesians, Romans, right? We've, we've put those on. They were letters. And so what would happen in the early church, this is how you got your Bible, Tychicus has Colossians, Tychicus has Ephesians. He drops off Ephesians to them, he drops off there and they read the letter. They would gather together in the little house and they'd have the Lord's Supper and they'd have a meal and they'd read it probably weekly and then they would make copies of it and then they would say, okay, you send another, we're gonna keep a copy here but you're gonna send a copy there and copies just start spreading. Ephesians letter, read their letter so that that's how we ultimately get all these manuscripts and we get God's word written down for us. But understand this, You've heard the myth, oh, the, the church decided which books were in the Bible in 300 and whatever. That is not true. At, at Chalcedon and Nicaea, they recognized what was part of the canon. But early on in the church, they understood Paul's writings as authoritative and even scripture. Before Paul was dead, Peter calls his writing the scriptures. Look at first, just real quick. This is, it's just important to understand that the early church recognized the authority of Peter. Uh, I mean, and of Paul and of the letters. He says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul, he's writing about Paul, wrote to you in according to wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Yes, they are. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Notice this phrase, as they do the other scriptures. He is putting Paul's letters on par with the rest of scripture, i.e. the Old Testament. He does it, Paul does it in 2 Timothy, referring to something that Luke had written. So you have an early identification of their, the, the scripture being Paul's letters. My point is this, they opened the scriptures when they gathered, which is what we do 2,000 years later. Looks a little different, but it's the same principle, and they got it, right? Last guy, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill your ministry and you've received in the Lord. Here's the interesting thing about this guy. He's probably Philemon's son. We don't know anything about him except for he's, he's listed there. But he tells the church, it says, see that you fulfill. It's y'all. Y'all tell the church. It's not I'm telling Archippus. Everybody, you guys make sure Archippus does his job. And it's a reminder to me that it's your job to stir up them. And it is their job to stir up you. And sometimes we need a little kick in the butt and sometimes we need a little encouragement, but it is our job. So they say, he might be slacking, maybe Archippus is the pastor. He's letting these false teachers in, who knows? He says, tell him to do his job. This is something God's called him to do. And this is important for us. This is what living in community is about. It's helping each other be encouraged. It's helping each other identify gifts, right? And, and sometimes we're so scared of that. If this guy over here says, I wanna be a doctor, dude, you can't even spell knife. You spell it N-I-F-E. You're not gonna be a doctor, Somebody needs to tell old boy that, but you're great with X or Y. That's, that's what we do. We encourage each other to follow Jesus. So Archippus, they say, hey, tell Archippus to get it going. 
And then Paul picks up the pen. Timothy's hand's dead. He's got dead hand. He's been writing four chapters. Paul, my head's dead. How much space you got? I got like one line. All right, I write this with my own hand. Sign Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be to you. Great ending. God's unmerited favor be to you. Something we don't deserve. That's how the book starts, that's how the book ends. Paul gets by with a little help from his friends. Just as we close, this is not a, hey, be like Paul or be like, that's not what this is. This is a reminder. It's not about getting the ball to the Italians. And this list is not exhaustive. It's not, it's not saying, well, which one are you? Are you one of these? No, do we need encouragers? Yes. Do we need prayer warriors? Yes. Do we need the behind the scenes people? Yes. Do we need hospitable people like Nympha who open her house? Yes. Do we need people who use their platform for the kingdom? Yes. Do we need people who failed and got up and kept going? Yes. Do we need people whose lives have been changed? Yes. Do we need people who learn from their failure? Yes. Do we need people who finish the course, comfort, risk? Yes. And so maybe that's your application. Here's another one. Who are you running with? Big, big question. Because if you, again, I'll say it. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You need to be surrounding yourself with people who help you follow Jesus better. And that does not mean you cut off all your non-believing friends because we are supposed to be in the world. So that's not, but, but the majority of your time and your intimacy should be coming from those who love Jesus and are trying to stir you up. And if you're gonna hang out with a bunch of cynics, you're gonna be a cynic. You're gonna hang out with a bunch of critics, you're gonna be a critic. If you're gonna hang out with a bunch of people who say they're Christian, and they may very well be, but they live on this one platform, whatever it is, this platform that's the most important thing, whether it's homeschooling or anti-birth control or anti-this or anti-Calvinist, if you, you can get in a little group and find them, and that's, that's what true people who love God, get away from them too, because it's gonna make you grumpy and mad. Run with people that'll help you be like Jesus. Right, that's, that's the idea. That's what Paul does. Passionate, not perfect, they need grace, you need grace. But that's what we need to be doing. Young folks, heading off to college, high school students, I know it's hard. But you need to find people that run after Jesus and be with them, right? Because we get by with a little help from our friends. And we do it because we need a savior. And, and we're, gonna, we're gonna celebrate baptism in a minute. And I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But this is a, a runner that we needed a savior, we need a savior, and that's what Jesus is. The one who came, the one who died, the one who rose. And so we're gonna celebrate that uh, in just a few minutes. And, and the reason we, we do baptism is because Jesus commanded it, right? Make disciples, how? By going, by baptizing, by teaching. And so baptism is an external symbol of an internal reality. Nothing magical about this water, it is warm, we're not gonna freeze these folks out, but they are coming in obedience saying, I am not ashamed of Jesus. The early church, they baptized them pretty much the day after they confessed their following of Christ. We kinda meet with folks, make sure they understand the gospel. Apart from the gospel, baptism means nothing, but it is an external symbol, just like this wedding ring. I take this wedding ring off, if I can get off, I'm still married but I put this wedding ring on because it is a symbol that I am my bride's, right? If I don't walk around with this on and it's like, I don't really, I'm not really married, right? Even though I am. It's a symbol that I'm not ashamed of my bride. And that's what baptism is. And it pictures a spiritual reality of what has taken place internally. And so we do baptism by immersion. That's what the word baptizo really means. It means to dip. And so when a person goes down in the water, it pictures Jesus' death 
And when they come out, it pictures the resurrection and newness of life. It's Colossians 3. You are dead to sin. You are alive to Christ. And so we're just following that. That's why it's a celebration. It's a picture of what has happened internally. And so we have, I think, about 10 or 11 folks between the two services today, some young, which is exciting, some old, which is exciting, that have identified, I am following Jesus and I am going to be obedient and follow him in the waters of baptism. And let me just encourage some of you out there who are kind of like hesitant, I don't know, I don't need to be baptized. Why would you not want to be? I mean, if your savior who, who gave himself for you was naked, pierced to a cross, not ashamed of you and your sin, if he's willing to do that for you, would you be willing to take one little step of obedience and say, yeah, I'm not ashamed, I'll, I'll be baptized. I know I gotta get, get underwater and my hair looks bad when I get underwater and my makeup will run and no one cares. We're just gonna be celebrating that. So if, if, that's, if that's something that, that you haven't done post-conversion as a response to your faith, I'd really encourage you to talk. About, we'd love to chat with you about it. We'd love to, to encourage you that way. We are always going to encourage you to obey Jesus. We just are, right? And this is a step of obedience for some of you that some of you haven't taken yet, but you need to, right? So we'd love to walk with you through that. Let me pray. You'll stand, let's sing and worship, and then we'll celebrate uh, with these who've come. Father, I just pray now for uh, just our time to reflect. We are your church. Uh, We are uh, needy and needing of each other, but also needing of uh, your grace just to, to live life, to do ministry. That's why it's so great that Paul says grace to you. Um, I just pray for those who are on the sideline. Maybe they got guilt, maybe they got shame, maybe they got hurt, maybe they failed, that they would find hope in you. I thank you for those who have come to uh, be baptized, who have come to publicly proclaim uh, what you have done in their lives and that they believe in Christ as their savior. Uh, as we as a church, we know heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and so we as a church wanna celebrate well goodness and grace and mercy in our lives. And so let us do that now. In Christ's name I pray, amen.